0: Their peace and comfort this night. And lastly, Lord, I lift up Maria's Father Joe's funeral tomorrow and just pray, Father, that it would truly be a strong witness to the family and friends who will be there. I pray for myself that you would give me the words to speak, Father, and I would be your mouthpiece into that family. And so, Lord, we just lift all of these things to you, knowing, Lord, that you're able to do beyond what we can even comprehend. And Lord, I pray for those who have not been brought to our attention. Pray, Father, that you would just continue to move in the lives of your people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51, we've spent two weeks, and we, as I said, we'll finish it here tonight. I'm going to read verses one through eleven and then we'll pick up our study. Again, the title of the Psalms are inspired just as well as the main body of the text. The title here is to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the Prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So that sets us in a historical context that we spoken of that is spoken of elsewhere in the Bible. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We saw earlier that Psalm chapter 50 was an exhortation to God's children to search their hearts and to understand their intents and their motives. And the idea is, is just as God approached Adam as he sinned and he was hiding in the bush, what was God's call to him was, Adam, where are you? That we would know where we are at in the sight of the Lord as far as the state of our hearts. Have we caused a gulf between us and God? Have we caused ourselves to be hiding from his goodness in the bushes figuratively? Or are we search our hearts and when we do find something that is contrary to God, are we prepared to openly reveal it and to deal with it, such as Psalm 51? Now, as I've mentioned before, the Psalms, if you want to get a good idea of the general theme of a Psalm, read the first verse and read the last verse. But also, they are linked together to a degree, and there's different chapters and they stand alone, there's no doubt about that, but they also flow together. It's almost as if somebody has thought this this through. In verse 22 of Psalm 50, it says, Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you to pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. And it's as if the psalmist gets this, and he pleads with God, moving into 51, Have mercy upon me, O God. He's come to this understanding as he has examined his heart, well, God had a force his hand, but nonetheless, he does omit the sin that is there. And so the Lord's intent is for us to come to a deep sense of the sin that lingers within our lives. Those things that we, as a born-again believer, that we need to clean up. We, we live a life, we desire to walk according to God's direction, but we stumble and we fall from time to time. And the thing about it is, sin sin will hinder the ability and the effects of our ministry. Don't just think of it ministry here at church, but think of it in its intimate form, my ministry between myself and my wife, myself and my children, my grandchildren, acquaintances, whoever it might be, that there would be nothing that I've hidden deep within my heart that I haven't dealt with and that I would allow to cause to, well, hinder me again from what God desires to do. But also it expands even further than that, that the sin that we harbor within, that we refuse to admit, we don't repent of it, that will also hinder God working in our lives as far as here in our church and throughout into our community. We're going to be starting next Wednesday, our outreach to the homeless in Ontario. Um, It was kind of a neat thing. My wife and I, we were coming to family night last Saturday night and we went by a Starbucks <clears throat> and we were in the Starbucks, and there was some firemen there. Ontario Fire Department got to talk to him. And it was just a neat conversation with a brother who, the captain of the the group that was there, is a, a born again believer. He goes to a Calvary Chapel, and it's just a neat thing, just within our city, and to see the Christians that are there, and to see the effect that we're able to have in our city. I got a phone call the other day. I, I do the invocation for the. Every so often, but I got a phone call not too long ago. I didn't recognize the phone number on the uh, on the readout on the phone, and it's the Ontario Aviation Committee, something like that. I believe that's what it's called, and they asked me to do the invocation. And so again, there's another opportunity to go into the city because of your tithes and offerings. We're supporting a, a a table on the police appreciation, and that. It, it goes towards uh doing this event for our, our police officers and so there's just so many little opportunities to venture out into the community and so that being the case, we make ourselves known, but we've always got to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. But we must check our hearts that these, these opportunities, these opportunities, as much as it depends upon us, that we would be open to the leading of the Spirit. If there's some sort of sin, if there's some sort of gulf that has been developed between me and God, that I have developed between me and God, we have developed between ourselves and the Lord, This is how we are to deal with these things. And again, the example that is used here is David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband, Uriah. Again, the historical context of this is seen, we're not going to turn there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And so David... He, th- this was some time afterwards that second Samuel twelve happened that after the sin and then it was revealed to him in second Samuel chapter twelve, David, up to that point, did not search his heart; he had chosen to bury it deep. he hid it within his heart, and, and then his sinful heart was exposed for for who he was and again, th- think of the connotations of that Here, here's David. his his sin is splattered throughout all of history for everybody to see and to look at. What What if, you know, us, you, you know, the things that are hidden in your heart, what if they were exposed to everybody to see? And what we do is we expose them to God so that we, well, not we, but we expose them to God so that the Lord would deal with it, so it doesn't have to be splattered all over. King David's desire was to hide it, to bury it, to ignore his sin, but the problem, the effects of sin that is never dealt with, it becomes cancerous. There is this you know, he speaks of the breaking of the bones, and and that's what God, the misery that God had allowed in his life, because he hasn't dealt with us. He hasn't been up front with the Lord. It's not that you have to go confessing sin to everybody. Matter of fact, you ought not to do that, but you have to be up front to the Lord. And again, we confess it verbally, because when we do so, we go on record. But God God, even though David had caused this gulf, God pursued after David. God does not give up on his people. And again, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, David's testimony is is that he is a man after God's own heart. And so what he does is he digs through these things and he sees the heart and that's God's passion is that person, the depths of who that person is. And so I had no heart for the Lord or the things of the Lord, and so he was cast out of ministry. And David, as bad as the things that he did, God was greater than all of that and able to overcome all of that. And what we're seeing in chapter 51 is the effects of chapter 50 as the sin has been revealed. Chapter 51 is how David dealt with the sin. And so God uses the prophet Nathan to achieve his purpose. And so we're looking at these details of David's life after his sin has been exposed. David realizing that he has a form of heart disease and it's that which can be detrimental. Jesus said in Matthew fifteen seventeen through 20, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart the inner person, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man. So we've been looking at this psalm in detail for the last two weeks as a pattern on how a child of God, and really how anybody, is to deal with their sin. It's the repentance process. Keeping in mind that the first thing that we see of Jesus preaching in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he's preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What is he doing? He's picking up on this theme that he who was to prepare the way, John the Baptist, had started to preach. Because before, it was always the death of an animal for the covering of sins, but now all of a sudden, here's this necessary repentance for the forgiveness excuse me, for the forgiveness of sins. And so this is something new to mankind, but not really. This is the way it has always been. And so God approaching Adam and he's hiding in the bushes. Adam, where are you? It's for the purpose that Adam would stand up and say, admit that he was in sin and that the sin would be dealt with. And so this repentance process that has been given to us by God, we've been looking at it under six headings, six ways in which we are to approach God in order to deal with sin. And so I'll review them and then we'll move on. Number one was a sinner is to approach God according to his mercy. Keeping in mind, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so we know there's that conviction of the Holy Spirit. We're deserving of death. We're deserving of judgment. But because we know that God is merciful, there's the opportunity to approach him. And that approach is based upon his mercy, that I'm not going to get what I deserve. If I'm approaching God and I'm going to get what I deserve, then I don't approach God. Verses 1 and 2, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And he asked God, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We have all transgressed. We've all willfully stepped over a line. We are perverse in the sight of God and we have all sinned. We've missed his mark of perfection. And so, because of that, we must come before a holy God according or because he is merciful. And we even know because of the revelation of Jesus Christ, it even goes further. He's also gracious. Keep it in mind, again, I've mentioned this before, but it's really set it right in my mind. Mercy, mercy is what keeps us out of hell. We're not getting what we deserve. Grace is what gets us into heaven. We are getting that which we do not deserve. And so because God is merciful and because God is gracious, we can boldly enter into his throne room. Secondly, we must confess our sin. Verse 3 For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this great evil in your sight. And so David is confessing, again, going on record that he is a sinner. It's the process of confession that, that involves acknowledging sin and acknowledging the sin as that which is contrary to God. Lord, in your sight, I have violated the word of God. I have done contrary to what I know, what you have spoken to my heart. I've gone contrary to what is right in your sight. I don't know these stories. I've gotten this illustration from, from the internet, so it must be true. It says, a Montana district judge ruled in January that for a homicide homicide suspect with apparent multiple personalities, the exercise of Miranda right by one of them does not carry over to all the others. By, you know, multiple personalities, apparently they had to meet each personality. Tessa Haley lawyered up when police sought to question her about the stabbing death of her roommate. And though police uh, questioning ceased, Haley transformed into Martha and spontaneously confessed to the crime, according to to officers. Judge Thomas Hanzo ruled that Martha's statement could not be used against Haley, although Haley is still free under existing law to argue that she is not responsible for Martha's crime. So you see this quagmire of ridiculousness, and I, I looked it up, and this woman is in jail. She was convicted, and so it Tells me that there's an element of truth here, but what I see is is how we can so try and deal with our sin, how how we can so pawn it off. And, and I remember when I was teaching four year olds on Sunday night, one couple, all know, brought their year old into the class, and the kid was bouncing off walls, and he just wouldn't sit. And there's just something. What's going on here? Well, we found out he was a sinner. How did we find that out? Because when his mother came to pick her up, apparently she's a sinner as well, she, uh, she asked, how did he do? And I'm wondering, why did she ask that? Because she never asked that, so she knew something was up. And I go, he was a handful tonight. And he goes, yeah, he got into the refrigerator and ate a whole chocolate pie. So the kid was all strung out on sugar that night. And as all that outward expression does, though, is to reveal the inner heart, the people who we are and we're sinners. I went to the dentist not too long ago and she told me I needed to take some, every night I needed to rinse my mouth with this fluoride stuff. And so I've been rinsing it with the fluoride stuff, rinsing it and rinsing it and um, trying to deal with the situation. My teeth are horrible and all that. And then yesterday I was kind of looking and I realized the stuff is turning my teeth black. It's just, it's turning them dark and it's leaving a stain And again, that's what sin is. It, it, It leaves a stain. But it's a stain that we all got to, what did I do? I looked in the mirror and saw the reality of what it was doing to my teeth. But we look in the mirror of the Word of God and see the reality of what sin has done to us, and it's left that obvious stain. Thirdly, we must appeal for a cleansing. It does no good just to be sorry for our sins without asking to be forgiven of them. You can ask Esau and Judas that. They were sorry sinners, and they just remained sorry, and they never asked for forgiveness from God. And so in verse 7, we saw that, well, the psalmist asked, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop would be the applicator of blood during the uh, Passover. That's how the blood was applied to the doorpost, was with some hyssop. Hyssop in our life is the Bible. It's the Word of God. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The application of the blood through the word of God. It's the blood that cleanses us. Blood, again, is symbolic of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are cleansed because Jesus paid the price for our sins. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. So we have the Bible, we have the blood, and then blot out. Blot out, the idea is to remove from a book of remembrance. And again, we need to forgive by remembering. God supernaturally chooses to remember no more. Think of the magnitude in which you have been forgiven. Through the power of God, he has chosen to remember your sins no more. And what does the devil do? The devil reminds us of the sins and reminds us of who we used to be. And he'll bring into question, do we even have a right to even show ourselves in church? Whatever it might be. But... As God has supernaturally chosen to remember my sins no more, it's he who I must give them over to. The fourth way in dealing with sin, we must approach God with the desire for a complete renewal. The psalmist realizes that this cleansing must not be superficial, but it is required to start in the place that God only has access to. In verse 10 he says, Create in me a clean or a pure heart. And as we just saw in the Matthew verse, the heart is the inner man from which all evil come from. That's where the sinful nature of man, if you will, resides. Lord, you have to do a deep work there because nobody else has access to it. I don't have access to it. I've tried to get in there and sweep a little of the demonic activity out, but it just came back worse. And so, Lord... That area is defiled beyond recovery. Create me, create from nothing. This is how God creates a heart that is pure in your sight. Lord, concerning this heart, the inner man, I need a miracle. I need what only you are able to do. Verses 11 through 12 Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I really believe that David wrote that because he saw the effects of Saul's sin upon him. Saul was anointed king and he lost that anointing because he refused the Lord and the Lord removed him from being king. And I would imagine that David, with the realization of the sin and understanding the magnitude of what he's done, and now this is open knowledge, Lord continue to use me. Don't put me on the shelf. Don't, Lord, set me aside. Verse 12, he says, restore to me, I should say he asks, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice what he doesn't ask. He doesn't say, restore to me your salvation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's not that David has lost his salvation, but he has just lost his joy of that salvation because he has muddied it up with the sins that he has committed. Lord, restore that joy. Remember the day that you were born again? Remember that time when you came to Christ for the very first time? There was a joy there. There was probably, I know with me at least there was, there there was some confusion. I'm going through this cataclysmic change in my life. There, there was some things that I was confused. There was things that I was ignorant of. But the one thing that I knew was the joy of doing what was right in the sight of God for the very first time in my life. I mean, think about that. The day that you were saved was the first time that you ever did what was right in the sight of God for the ever. Because everything else was an unfilthy rag. But now you have done what is right in the sight of God. And God has blessed you. Lord... You know, this is what uh, the Apostle John talked about in Revelation and the church of, of Ephesus, how they have left their first love. Lord, may I stay connected to to first love. First love, I was thinking about it the other day. It was in July of 1978. It's when I met my wife. And I remember when we first started dating and the newness of all of that and, and just that attraction that was there. And we started talking about marriage even within a month or so, maybe even sooner than that. Of course, we still didn't get married for about two years. Uh, Quick to talk, slow to act. But nonetheless, we we talked about those things. And just the joy of, of falling in love. Ask God that God would always keep that joy within your heart of when you fell in love with him. And that newness of it and the desire of it and the passion of it all. Now we come to our two last points, verses 13 through to the end of the chapter. First, Lord, enable us to teach others by our example. Verse 13, "...then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness." O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, when David's saying these things, and I'll speak of what you have done, and so on and so forth, he's not making a deal with God. That's kind of what Jacob did and the... <clears throat> Jacob's latter verses he he basically told God, if he would bless him, then he would praise him now this this is a a a vow that David is making before God that as God restores the joy of his salvation, he will speak of it to other sinners. the word then In verse 13, it speaks of post-forgiveness. So David is coming to the realization of the mercy of God and what God is able and willing to do in his life. Sin has been dealt with, but the process continues. The psalmist's desire is to live, to be a living testimony of God's grace and God's mercy because God's illustration to man has always been through man. To the negative, we see what he did with Pharaoh to the apostle Paul and Paul's great testimonies. Um, up on the board it's going to be 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. As Paul described who he used to be, who he is now and who God has created him to be, but in actuality I think I want to read from Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 9. He says, "Although I may have confidence in the flesh or what I'm able to do before God, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so." <clears throat> Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews according to the law, of Pharisee. So he's basically saying, I've kept the law as meticulously as possible. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But, and the idea here, this is a huge turning point, because we know all that he had just said, it's not going to be good enough. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish or waste product. All that self-righteousness was absolutely useless, he's saying. Why does he count it as rubbish? Because I may gain Christ. Because your perceived righteousness will come in the way or cloud your ver- your vision of the reality of God's righteousness. And that was the problem with the Jewish worship system as they added their traditions and they followed these things their self-righteousness clouded the righteousness of God verse 9 and be found in him in Christ not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith and so the apostle Paul came to this great understanding that his righteousness was not righteousness whatsoever but it was the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been placed upon him. And so Paul has dedicated his life now to speak of the righteousness of Christ, which is available to all who will believe. And so what King David is speaking of here, verse 13, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you, is exactly what Paul had done, and it's what we should be doing as well. And matter of fact, who's able to speak of the grace and the mercy of God better than somebody who once was lost but now is found? The psalmist pleads that even his sin would glorify God. And so David realizes the blessedness of repentance and the freedom and joy of God's forgiveness and all that it brings. And now he realizes that responsibility that he has to speak of his testimony, to speak outwardly of the sin that he has committed, but how God has overcome that, which is a complete 180-degree turn from what he was doing. We're told in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, and it plays out well here in chapter 51, For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. To whom much has been given, what has God given to you? And to whom much has been committed, what has God committed to you? He's committed to you himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given you salvation. And because of that, much is required of us. And we do that because of the love of Christ that has been poured into our hearts your testimony, your testimony is that which cannot be denied, it cannot be refuted, and that which is effective for God's purpose, because what God has done in your life is real, and it is true. Testimony is the telling of your salvation story, just pure and simple. Every one of us has a testimony. and in the process of witnessing, we're able to give that. Again, verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, because of what you have done, May this be what the reaction of my life is, to teach other willful sinners God's ways, to teach them God's righteous manner of life. And so, David, to see the reaction, it's believed that Psalm 32 is a reaction to what God has done. It's really, although it's not in order, it's a follow-up to Psalm 51. Let me read it. It's only 11 verses. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Selah, remember the Psalms are God's music book to humanity. Selah would be a musical instrument for the instrumental for the purpose of contemplating what was just said. Verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely the flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This is the psalmist not speaking to God, but to others. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And so the thing that you say about David is, David got it. David tried to hide it, It was exposed, but now he has come before a gracious and merciful God, and we see the reaction of his heart. Back in Psalm 51, so he now has a desire to teach other sinners God's ways. The desire of God is to forgive man and not judge man. God will judge those who reject him, but it's God's desire that all would come to repentance and a right relationship with him. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. That draws him is an interesting phrase because we can look at it. Okay, does it mean like if you, I throw a bucket down a well and I draw the water up? That water doesn't really have much of a choice. It's brought even against Or is it wooing mankind? Well, the idea is, the lexicon tells us it's more of a wooing than what we would describe as a drawing. And so how does God draw mankind unto himself? Well, later on in John chapter 12, verse 32 through 33, it says, and if I am lifted up, and we know that means to be crucified, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This, he said, signifying by what death he would die. So how is he drawing people to himself? It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the place where our sins were forgiven, but it's also the ultimate expression of the love and the grace of God. The idea is, is that man observes Christ upon the cross, he understands that it's he who should be there, but it's a loving God who went there because he's the only one that could deal with the sin situation. And what we see is, is the love of God, and it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so we see this goodness or this love that is displayed upon the cross, and it's that which draws us. Because it's not the judgment of God that draws us, and it's definitely not the anger of God that draws us. That repels us. It's the love of God that brings us to God, and we've all come before God because, well, it was the process of the gospel. It was the understanding of our sinful state, but what God has done to rectify the sinful state of mankind. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Righteousness, the righteousness of God and all that God has done in his absolute perfection, that we would speak of the goodness of God and what greater goodness of God is what God does for the lost sinner. Verse 15 through 17, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise for you do not desire sacrifice or I would give it you do not delight in burnt offerings the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit broken spirit is for our pride to be reduced David was very prideful thought he could get away with having a relationship and impregnating this woman and murdering this man David brought him to the place where his pride was broken and then he goes on to say broken and contrite a heart a heart a heart that is repentant. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And so what we're told here, and what David's recognizing, God takes no joy in mechanical religion, just falling into that routine. But he wants that relationship with us. That relationship as we come before God and and just simply admitting the sinners that we are and how we have done wrong and done wickedly even against God. But we ask God that God would truly forgive us. That Lord Here I am, a sinner, and Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me, and that you would restore me. Even in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, remember this is Israel just before they're going into the promised land. Look at Moses and what Moses has to say. And now, and now Israel, what does the Lord, your God, speaking of him as a as a uh, personal God, require of you, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your father's to love them and he chose their descendants after them you above all peoples as it is this day because God has done that or verse 16 therefore circumcise the foreskin of your hearts and be stiff-necked no longer for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great God mighty and awesome who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing "'Therefore, love the stranger, "'for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. "'You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, "'and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. "'He is your praise and he is your God "'who has done for you these great and awesome things "'which your eyes have seen.' Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in the multitude. Now that outburst of praise by Moses is based upon what God has done as God with a mighty hand reached into Egypt and delivered his people. And he's understanding the magnitude of their salvation. How much more should we have that attitude? Why should we have that attitude? We haven't been delivered from Egypt, but we have. We've been delivered from the world. We've been delivered from the flesh, and we've been delivered from the clutches of the devil. How much more so should we make the Lord our God? Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Keep in mind, as we mentioned previously, there was no sacrifice for murder or adultery. The penalty was death. And David is understanding this is going to take so much more than just the burning of a sacrifice. And again, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. We must have a heart that breaks concerning sin. This is a heart that is pliable to the word of God. It needs to be patient under the rod of God as he corrects us. This is a heart that is subdued and brought into obedience. It is a heart that is tender like Josiah's and trembles at God's word. Oh, that we would have such a heart within us. And then lastly, verses 18 through 19, a prayer for the continuation of God's kingdom. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. When our sin has been dealt with, Lord, when we develop that personal relationship and we're able to offer, in this particular case, those sacrifices with a heart, then they will be acceptable once again before you. Jesus told the women of the well that we are to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We can't allow sin to enter in, to hinder that worship of God and that passion to seek after him. When he says, build the walls of Jerusalem, walls or manner of defense, Lord, build the walls around us for those temptations that are out there and for the devil as he lays those things before our paths that would render us ineffective and drag us down. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offerings, and hold burnt offerings, then they shall offer bulls on your altars. When we approach God according to his mercy, when we confess our sin, when we appeal for a cleansing, when we have that desire, that passion for inward renewal, and then when we come to the realization of those things and teach others by our example, and then continue to pray for God's kingdom, then the sacrifice of our service to God will be a sweet-smelling aroma to him. And I'll just close with Psalm 66, verses 16 through 20. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, for certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Father, we just thank you that your grace and your mercy are turned towards us. Father, that we have your attention no matter where we are. So I pray, Father, that we would be a people who do pray without ceasing, that we would be constantly seeking you out. And Lord, as sin wars, as we constantly war against the spirit and the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, I just pray, Father, that we would be quick to confess the sins that we have committed, that, Lord, we would do inventory of our relationship at the end and the beginning of each day, and if there's anything in there, if there's anything that is revealed, even the things that we don't want to omit, bring us to that point, Father, that they can be dealt with, Lord, and that we can be, that we would be able to, to move on, and that we would once again be restored to the joy of our salvation. Father, I pray that you would even renew that day by day, Lord, this is a personal decision that each and every one of us need to make. And so, Father, I pray that through your word and the power of your spirit, that you would show us the truthfulness in our each individual life. And I pray, Father, that we would follow through in these things and be able to realize your total goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Sunday we're going to be celebrating communion. We will be in our study in 2 Peter and then 2 Chronicles on Sunday night. And as I said, Easter is coming up. We'll be putting out Easter schedule pretty soon. But just keep that in prayer. Our church doubles on Easter Sunday morning. And just keep in prayer with the work that the Lord wants to do in the hearts of the people who are there. I'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you guys.
1: Lay me down. Amen. Have a blessed evening.